invisible to the eye, yet the force of its incredible power can be seen and felt by every living thing. This presence and power is made known to us from the gentle breeze of the field to the mighty gales that filled the boat's sails on the open water. Like the wind, so is the Holy Spirit of God. When God sent his Holy Spirit upon man, the force of his almighty power was so great it could only be described as a mighty rushing wind. The effects of that moment has forever changed the world. Out on the high seas, one can experience the awesomeness of the wind and what its great power can do. So should we daily experience the wonder, power, and majesty of the Holy Spirit of God in us and through us. This year, let us live every day empowered by His Spirit. Empowered by His Spirit is our theme for the year. Wind and spirit come from the same word. Wind filling a sail is just a perfect illustration of the spirit-filled life that we will see today. If you have a Bible, please open to Ephesians 5. If not, and if you'd like to follow along, there's a Bible on the bench in front of you there. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. You say, where in the world is that? Well, good acrostic to help you remember. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gentiles eat pork chops, G-E-P-C. <laughs> You'll be able to find it there. Ephesians chapter 5. Here we find some of the most practical teaching in all the Bible on how to live a life that pleases God. And the key is learning how to be spirit-filled. And that simply means to be led by God. If you would, please stand with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. May we pray. Our Father, thank you that we have a Bible that we can look into today to discover your truth of how to know you and how to love you. And Father, we praise you for our Bibles and we praise you for the Spirit of God that will open our understanding. We praise you most of all for the Son of God who died upon the cross, gave his life, rose again, and offers this wonderful free gift of salvation for all who will believe, all who will trust in you. Now I pray for each one of us today that, that we might have ears to hear your message for those who may not be certain of where they'll spend eternity, draw them to yourself. For each Christian may be a time of learning and growing deeper roots in our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Twice. Twice this week we were greeted with the sad morning news of celebrities taking their lives. People who just seem to have it all. They've got money, fame, popularity. And then on Thursday, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, they published a report that the suicide rates 
have increased in the states 25% over the last two decades. They say this epidemic is more than a mental health issue. They say 54% of all suicides had no previous mental health issue. The debate over the use of antidepressants for depression kicked into high gear three months ago with the publication of the book, Lost Connections, uncovering the real causes of depression by British author Johan Hari. Johan used antidepressants unsuccessfully for 13 years, starting as a teenager. But researchers refute what he says. Researchers claim that antidepressants help a lot of people, but they also admit that 33% of people taking antidepressants have a higher risk of premature death. And so what that means is two out of three people that take antidepressants, they get some help. One out of three that take antidepressants are going to die prematurely. And so the message to you, to your family is be extremely careful if you take them. But everyone, everyone admits and agrees that medication alone is not the answer. Faith, family, friendships, and Christian counseling can help the depressed, can help them find hope, and can help reverse the rising suicide rates. You know, everyone wants to be happy, right? I mean, it is the desire uh, that has been given to us by God to want to be happy. In fact, Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount. It is the most famous sermon of all time, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it begins with the word happy, blessed. Blessed means happy. And he said, if you, if you want to become happy, if you want to have joy, then what you need to do is to receive me as your Savior and begin to follow me, and I will give you the joy and happiness that I have intended for you to have. Now, Ephesians 5 is the prescription for joy. It is the prescription for happiness by the great physician. And so God's command, be filled, it is written, and it's a little technical here, it's in your notes, it is written in the present passive imperative tense. You say, what does that mean? Well, I wouldn't know unless I could have others help me, but there in your notes, present means it is a continuous action. Be ye continually filled. Passive means we allow God to do this in our lives. Imperative means it is not an option but a mandate, a command. And so my Christian life starts right here with this command. Your first step of obedience is water baptism, but your first responsibility is to be filled with the Spirit. You don't have to have a seminary degree or be a Christian for 32 years to be able to be filled with the Spirit. All of us uh, can understand what he is saying here. So look with me at verse 18. It's somewhat of a, a contrast. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Two commands. Two commands. Don't get drunk ever, but rather be filled. Now, is drunkenness a problem in our country? You know, that word is not used in the media anymore, uh, but it is used in the Bible. Uh, most of us, most of us know of a coworker, a family member, uh, a friend, um, an acquaintance that has struggled with alcohol addiction. And thank God we have a ministry every Friday night 
to help those with addictions. It is called Reformers Unanimous, and it meets every Friday night at 7 p.m. Alcoholism is on the rise. The Washington Post recently reported that one in eight American adults is an alcoholic. That's 13% of the U.S. population. 88,000 people die every year from alcohol-related causes. That's twice that of opioids, which we hear in the news constantly, but twice that with alcohol-related deaths. Stunningly, they said, nearly one in four adults under the age of 30 are diagnostically considered alcoholics. Imagine that. One in four of adults under the age of 30 have already become addicted to alcohol. So on page two of your notes, you see the command. The command is, be filled with the Spirit. Let me show you a, a little booklet that we have. If you want to know what the Bible says about alcohol, I've got a little booklet called Alcohol, Eight Questions Every Christian Should Ask, and you can pick that up from the bookstore if you'd like to learn what the Bible says about that. Now there on page two, the command is to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And so what does this mean, to be filled with the Spirit? It, it, it means to have a moment-by-moment -moment yielding of your life to the control of God's Holy Spirit. In fact, the, uh, the best metaphor that, that we have in the Bible is about walking. In fact, we find it in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so this idea of being filled with the Spirit, it's not something you do one time. You know, I, I did it back when I was, was 23, and I don't, I don't need to do it again. It's not a one-time experience. It's a moment-by-moment. Moment. As in walking, every step is a, uh, the, the illustration here is every step is another decision. And so to walk in the Spirit is moment-by-moment. So, so the alarm clock goes off in the morning. You have a decision to make. Are you going to get up? Are you going to stay in bed? Are you going to call in sick when you're healthy, or are you going to get up and, and uh, go forward for the day? And then, and then you go to the closet. you got another decision to make. What are you going to wear? Am I going to wear that, that solid blue shirt, or am I going to wear a striped shirt? Then you go to the kitchen, make another decision. Am I going to go with the Fruit Loops or the Captain Crunch? You know, all these decisions you have to make. I, I personally like to go with uh, strawberries, blueberries, and yogurt, all right? Uh, but you have decisions to make, and, and so every step is, is pictured as a decision, and life is filled with decisions and experiences. And so to walk in the Spirit, it's this moment-by-moment decision-making. And when I am Spirit-led, I'm yielding my every step, my every decision to God's Spirit. I'm just constantly following His path. And to do that, now, a lot of these decisions are just our preferences, and, it, and it, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference what you choose, but there's a lot of moral decisions, and you can't make them without the Bible. You need to know the Bible. You need to know what God says. And to do that, you have to read it. And so if you want to discover the mind of God, read the Bible so you can make these decisions. So who can be filled with the Spirit? Let's understand this. Who can be filled with the Spirit? Someone who receives Christ as their Lord and Savior. In your Bible, turn one page back to chapter 1, verse 1, and we discover who this letter of Ephesians was written to. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. Saints refers to all the Christians in the church at Ephesus. So how do you become a Christian? 
Ask God to forgive your sins and believe that Jesus Christ alone died for you and rose again, and that's how you receive that forgiveness. The result is you will follow him. Has anyone ever said to you, oh, oh, that's just your interpretation. You just have your interpretation. And so let me ask you today what your interpretation is of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Again, it's one chapter back, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I've given four major Bible translations in your notes today. And the next one is from the Mormon Bible. You say, Pastor Wendell, you went off the cliff. You went off the deep end. You put the Mormon Bible in our church notes. I can't believe it. Let me, let me quote it to you. I have it memorized from the Mormon Bible, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you know that the Mormon teaching of how to get to heaven includes baptism? But their, their scripture says exactly what the King James Version says. Exactly, word for word. And so in this case, I believe the Mormon Bible when they don't. Uh, here's another one. Here's the Dewey Rames Catholic Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, that no man may glory. I agree with the Dewey Rames Catholic Bible of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says the same thing. One more. This is the New World Translation by the Jehovah's Witnesses. By this undeserved kindness, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Rather, it is God's gift. No, it is not a result of works, so that no one should have grounds for boasting. Do you know that in these verses, in these four translations, and in a hundred others, you'll find no reference to good works, or baptism, or giving money, or joining the church, or being good, or being sincere. Because salvation is a gift. It is a gift of God. It's simple enough that a child can believe and profound enough that the most brilliant minds on this earth can believe. Jesus did the work of salvation on the cross, and by faith we receive the gift of salvation. And so whether you're a child or a brilliant scientist, you can believe God's truth. I want you to listen to the testimony of a professor named James M. Tor. He is the lead chemistry professor of Rice University. Watch. I got my PhD in the field of organic chemistry, postdoc at Stanford University. Joined the group of a man who was going to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Voted one of the top 50 most influential minds in the world. I was a visiting scholar at Harvard University. I've spoken at every major university in this country have over 650 research publications voted the r&d magazine scientist of the year i'm in the national academy of inventors 
I'm a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Over 120 patents started seven or eight companies. We work in areas that range from medicine to material science to electronics, computer memory, medical devices. We work across a broad range of areas. But more than any of that, what means the most to me is that I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. I grew up just outside of New York City. I thought everybody was Jewish. I didn't even know that there was anything else. I had no particular interest in that, other than when all my friends were getting bar mitzvahed or bat mitzvahed, and then I would attend, of course, every week. There was never really any excitement for me. I remember once I even tried to talk to a, a rabbi. He just brushed me off. There was very little explanation for me. I remember uh, when I went to college, I started meeting a number of people that said that they were born-again Christians, which was sort of an odd term. I was, what's born again? What do you mean, born again? One person saw me in the laundry room. He said, do you mind if I give you an illustration of the gospel? And I remember we sat there, and he actually started to draw a picture, a cliff with a, with a man on one side, and he drew a little man, and then another cliff with God on the other side, and a big chasm in between that he labeled with sin. And I looked at him, I said, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anyone. I never robbed the bank. How could I be a sinner? And he had me read a verse from the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In modern Judaism, we never really talked about sin. I don't remember ever talking about sin in my home. So he turned to another passage. Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pow! I felt just as if I had been punched right in the chest. Here I was, new in college. I didn't think anybody knew. I would pick up these magazines, and I became addicted to pornography. It was just through those magazines. And all of a sudden, something that's written in the Bible, somebody from live, who lived 2,000 years ago is calling me out on it. And I felt immediately convicted, and that now I realized I was a sinner. When I read in the scriptures, what sin is, then I knew I was a sinner. How am I going to get to God? We Jews know this better than anyone else. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This description in Isaiah 53 of how he will bear upon himself my sin, the things that I had done, and this was him, this was the man that took this upon himself on the cross. The perfect God comes and gives himself for us. He is the one that gives himself for us. I started to realize how Jewish the New Testament is. This book is so Jewish. The New Testament is so Jewish. It's all around Jewish people. And then on November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room. The realization that Yeshua is the one who died on the cross. And I said, Lord, 
I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. And this amazing sense of forgiveness just started to come upon me. That was it. Finally, I got up. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to tell. Here's this Jewish kid from New York City. What am I going to say? My cousins were shocked. How could you do that? You're Jewish. Telling my mother how I had invited Jesus into my life. She didn't say much. She was weeping. She told my father they weren't happy at all. When my daughter was about 15, my mother and father came to visit us. At one point, my mother went into her room for several hours. She came out. She said, what a young girl you have. She talked to me for a long time. She started reading the Bible again, both the Old and the New Testament. One day, not long after that, she called me on the phone at the age of 72. She said, Jimmy, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I was just reading. And it hit me. It hit me. The way he gave his life. I believe it now. Jesus is the Son of God. And a wonderful testimony. A little child or a brilliant scientist, one of the most brilliant minds on the earth. Jesus died for you. Jesus lives for you. Jesus offers the gift of salvation that we could spend eternity in heaven. I've given you his personal statement, web address. Got to check it out. Read what he wrote. This wonderful gift of heaven. Who can be filled with the Spirit? Someone who receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And secondly, someone who chooses to follow Christ. We find that here in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And look at the first result. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And so the first evidence of following Jesus Christ is love. You will love other people. You'll love God, you'll love your family, and you'll love your friends, and you will love others. You say, okay, pastor, I'm a Christian. I'm attempting to follow God. How can I be filled with the Spirit? So who can be filled? It is someone who is saved and following God. How to be filled with the Spirit? Right after the command of verse 18, be filled, there are four participles. And the first one is speaking. We find it here in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now watch, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, then we need to start speaking to our Christian friends psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you speak a hymn to someone? Do you come to church and, and say, hey, Dave, how you doing? Amazing grace. That's not how you do it. I was more in tune in the first service. Sorry about that. But uh, is that how you do it? No, no, that, that is not how you do it. What is he talking about? Well, Psalms, Psalms is a book of the Old Testament, 150 Psalms, and they are songs of praise to God. We sing them today as choruses. Hymns, hymns are songs of praise to God. Uh, typically, they praise God for who he is. They praise God for what he does. Spiritual songs are less formal songs, testimony songs. Do you know we did all three today? I prayed a psalm. 
Psalm 27. We sang hymns. We sang spiritual songs. And so what he wants us to do is that's the content of our speaking to one another. You'll find in the Bible, Miriam singing a hymn about God drowning the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. You'll a testimony song like Hannah uh, when she prayed and God gave her a son, Samuel, after being barren. Paul is telling us, when you get together with other Christians, talk about me. Talk about praise to God. Say to someone, he says, do you know what God taught me this last week? Do you know what God did for me this last week? And that happened to me. I got, I got a call on Friday night. Uh, I was walking in the parking lot while my wife was shopping. And uh, as I'm walking, I gave this call, and this guy, he's a young dad in our church, and he says, Pastor, I just got to give praise to God. I said, what happened? He said, well, five years ago, I was $27,000 in debt, and I sought counsel from Pastor Joyner and Rick Schneider. And he said, today, not only are we out of debt, but I bought a car for cash for the first time in my life. I just want to say praise God. Amen. And he did. Uh, he gets it. And, and all the while, as he was digging out of debt, he gave his tithes and offerings, he gave his missions giving, and God has blessed him, and he wanted to share that with others. Do you want to live a spirit-filled life? Then your conversation begins to talk about what God is doing for you, what he is teaching you. The second thing God says is, you want to be filled with the Spirit is, I want you to sing. Singing. We find it in verse 19. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, if you struggle with depression discouragement, negative thoughts. If you are generally a grouchy person, and don't raise your hand if this is a spouse sitting next to you today, all right? Uh, but if, if, if this is who you are, God says, start singing. Start singing. Start humming a spiritual song. Maybe Julie Andrews was onto something in the sound of music when she would break out into a song, when the dog bites and when the bee stings and when you're feeling sad. I mean, the Nazis are coming at you with the guns. Just sing. <laughs> okay, so it's not that simple, but God wants you to sing. God says, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, singing in your hearts to the Lord. And when we come to church, most of us sing. Some may not sing because it's uncomfortable. Uh, maybe you don't like sing your singing voice. You don't like to hear your voice sing. Maybe you say, I'm a monotone, and I don't want anyone else to hear me. But the Bible says I need to sing to God. It doesn't say you have to sing in tune. I've got a Bible verse for you. You know it? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, Psalm 101. Anyone can do that. You just say, God, you know what? You're the one person that I will sing for, and I don't care who hears me. I will sing to you. God made music so that we can glorify him. And so just singing this constant melody that goes to God throughout the day, and here's how it works. Uh, one of our choir members sent me an email uh, this week. This man is in the mechanical service industry, works on commercial air conditioners, heaters. And like many of you, he works with lost people all day long who curse like sailors. Listen to how he gets prepared for what he is exposed to all day long. This is what he wrote. This morning, I was playing the West Coast video because he lives. You know the one. I play it to get that message stuck in my ear 
for the day to help keep the other messages out. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen to the good music and get that message stuck in your ear. Why? To keep the other bad messages out. I love that. And it, it is another example of a spirit-filled Christian living out his faith and letting his light shine in a very dark world. And so in verse 19, God is saying to us, I want these songs to be in your head. I want them to be in your heart and on your tongue and just be singing them and be humming them in your mind. Here's another example. A 13-year-old Oren. He's been through a couple of rounds of chemo. Friday, Saturday, the sledgehammer chemotherapy uh, to get all of that leukemia out of his body, to get his body prepared for this bone marrow transplant from his sister. And, and I mean, he, was, he slept 20 hours out of 24 on the, on the one day. And so his, his mom, Gretchen, uh, wrote Jody there on, on Friday, and this is, what, uh, this is what she said. The stress is intense at times. But I keep telling myself, why worry when you can pray? Those kids' songs come back when you need them the most. Keep singing them in the elementary program as long as possible. May I say to the moms and the dads and the grandmas and the grandpas, keep exposing your children to good Christian music and just keep putting it in their heart because it might come back in five years or ten years or two decades or when they're the mom or the dad and they're in the deep, dark trial of their life. And that song's going to come back to their memory. And when you, I promise you, when you are in your darkest trial, God will give you the song in the night. Do you know who said that? It's a man named Job. And he knew something about the deep trials of life, didn't he? And so let's get those good songs in our heart. Do you know what happens when you start to sing about God? It begins to change you. You begin to think about God and, and you begin to become more like Jesus and godliness begins to grow in your character and your personality is transformed to become more Christ-like and more godly. You just say, God, I just want to praise you right now with whatever musical ability that he has given you or whatever music ability you don't have. You just praise him. And so there is speaking, speaking to one another about God. There's singing in our hearts to God. The third one is thanking. Uh, thanking God always. We find it in verse 20. And I love this verse. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this phrase, always for all things. Would you say that with me? Always for all things. Okay, now say it like you mean it. Always for all things. We are to thank God always for all things. I, I, I think what would happen in our day if we did this. I mean, if we woke up in the morning and said, Dear God, thank you that I am alive today. Thank you that I can get out of bed. Thank you that I can brush my teeth. Thank you that I have teeth. Uh, thank you that I can take a hot shower Thank you that I'm living and breathing. Thank you for letting me live in this beautiful place we call Pennsylvania. Thank you for our church family, a loving and caring group of people, all these people that have come together today to worship you. I can sing with other Christians. Thank you we can learn from the preaching of the Word of God. 
And as you leave, you can whisper a prayer, God, thank you for that friend, and thank you for that friend. He has given us so much. I started something a little more than a year ago. I started something where when I would wake up in the morning, I would thank God for three things from the previous day. I'd like you to do that now. I've given you three blanks. If you've got a pen or pencil, you can write it down. If not, just kind of go through in your mind. Can you think of something yesterday? I know it was a long time ago. But can you think of something yesterday, a blessing that God let you experience? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's just something that you observed and, and it, it, it was special to you. You see, when you, when you do this first thing in the morning, then you prepare yourself to anticipate what God is going to you, do for you today. And that's why it is important to teach our children, to teach our teenagers before they eat, to bow their heads in respect to God and thank him for their food. Jesus taught us to thank God for what? Our daily bread. People ask me, oh, look at this dessert. Should we ask God to bless this dessert? Absolutely. I even have a Bible verse for you, 1 Timothy 4, 4. Every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified with the word of God in prayer. I always sanctify my ice cream and apple pie. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank God. And then when you get to the end of the day and you crawl into a bed, to thank God you have a bed and a pillow and you fall asleep thanking God. I'm telling you that if you will do this, your life will be changed. You do it throughout the day, you'll be a different person. You'd be spirit-filled and spirit-led. You'll be filled with God's joy. Alcohol can't do that for you. Marijuana can't do that for you. A bottle of pills can't do that for you. But the living Christ can give you joy in your heart. And so we start with our conversations, talking to each other, giving praise to God. Then we sing, and sometimes it's out loud, and sometimes it's just in our heart. Try it. Try it in the car. Uh, try it uh, at work. Uh, Hannah, she, she prayed. Her lips moved, but there was no voice. But, it, but God heard that prayer. God gave her a son. And then thanking God. We can do it all the time. One more, and that is submitting to one another, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so in our relationships with family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, he reminds us we're to serve one another. And that's an expression of love. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, love your enemies. If he is hungry, what are you supposed to do? Feed him. If he is thirsty, what are you supposed to do? Give them a drink. Uh, the Roman law was they could compel them to, to carry their bags for one mile. You know what Jesus said? I say to you, go two. Go the extra mile. Serve one another. That's an expression of our love. How do we do that? Well, we do that by submitting to the authorities that God created. He creates them in the home. He creates them at church. He creates them in school and work with the government. We are to live inside the loving fences that are set up in our lives and to strive to live peaceably with other people. And we do it because of love. We love God and we show love to others. Now, this is important because we've all heard people say things like, well, you know, 
I think my relationship with God is good, but I just can't stand my husband. <laughs> what is that? Uh, 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 me and God are good, but I just can't stand my wife or my kids or my parents or my boss. You understand that is a contradiction. To say my relationship with God is good, but I can't stand that person. I can't forgive that person. They drive me bats. You know, the Bible says a spear-filled person is someone who lives in harmony as much as is possible with other people. Start in your family. Start with your Christian friends. I can't say I'm worshiping the Lord if I'm not serving my wife. The Bible says, in fact, in this chapter, verse 25, I can't say that I love God if I'm not serving my wife. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How did Christ, how did Christ love us? With a sacrificial love. Hey, by the way, that lady that I kissed, that was my wife. I, just, <laughs> I don't kiss all the soloists, uh, but it was my wife. And, and I just want you to know that if you're visiting. Uh, but this is, we, we <laughs> just ask the person beside you. They will testify for me. I can't say I love God if I don't love my wife and serve my wife. Submitting yourselves one to another. Is there someone that you're supposed to submit to? Is there someone that you're supposed to be able to, to serve? Disrespecting your husband, disrespecting your wife, disrespecting your children, disrespecting your, your parents, disrespecting the boss and the police and the referee and, and the coach. If you, if you do that and think that you are okay with God, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. Because when the wind of the Spirit of God fills your sail, you'll be submitting one to another. Uh, people say to me, well, it's just who I am. I just blurt out everything I'm thinking. Well, do you know what God says about that? Stop. Stop it. Hold your tongue. In fact, look at verse 29 of chapter 4. He's very specific. God is very specific about this. What should come out of your mouth? Chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. God says you're going to give an account for every word you speak. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus said there's a day of judgment. Every idle word will be brought into account on the day of judgment. I want you to give a good accounting. And so what I want to get across to you today is if you didn't get anything else, it's this. If you want to be a person who is totally filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to take effort. You need to do these things. It's more than closing your eyes and thinking about how great God is, and that's good, but you got to do something. Speaking, singing, thanking, submitting. Here's the question. How bad do you want it? How badly do you want to be that person that doesn't hide God? It just becomes a natural that God is overflowing out of you, and there's so much joy and peace and love and, and, and contentment in this kind of life. And so what are you going to do with this message? Not only can you help yourself, but you can help others. When you or a friend gets to the end of their rope and you think there is no hope, remember that God offers you something better than a pill. Amen. He offers you 
the Lord Jesus Christ, a person. And so God gives. He gives peace. He gives joy. He gives forgiveness because he is the Prince of Peace. He gives us the abundant life. He's the author of our salvation that Jody sang about. Every major struggle, as I thought about what God wants us to do here, and I thought about what happened last week, every major struggle by those contemplating suicide can find help if they, if they follow this passage. They will find forgiveness, peace, purpose. They will find close relationships. They will discover how to overcome fear and discouragement and depression and despair. Think about it. You have now been equipped with the answer. The answer is a person. One out of four people under the age of 30 are clinically diagnosed as alcoholic. 25% increase of suicide. We can help them. We can help them. We can point them to the Lord. We can show them what God says, and they can find joy. There in your notes, a spirit-filled life is a life centered on Jesus Christ. What a great way to live, having God's joy in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the help you give to the hurting, the hope that you give to the hopeless. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and what he has done for each one of us to take away our guilt, to take away our shame, to take away the penalty of death and hell and give us life and heaven. I thank you for Professor James and his testimony, the testimony of those here in our church that shared with me this week that I can give to our congregation. You're at work, God, and I thank you for that. Now with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, you'd say, Pastor, if I, if I died today, I know I would go to heaven. There was a time in my life that I made a commitment to become a Christian, a true and genuine follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you're a church member. I'm asking, do you have assurance in your heart? Do you have peace? With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, if you have that confidence that, that heaven is your home when you die, God has given you that peace because you are, you are saved. Would you simply raise your hand for a moment all over if that's your testimony? Thank you. You may put your hands down. You're here today. You say, Pastor, I, I, I couldn't raise my hand. Or maybe you did, and you have doubts. You have doubts that heaven is your home. God wrote the Bible to take away your doubts. He offers you a gift. I gave it to you in four different translations. The gift of salvation. How do you receive a gift? Say thank you. And so today I'd like to lead you in that salvation prayer. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about joining a church. It's not about giving money. It's not about a sacrament. It's about receiving a gift. It's about a relationship with God. You, you know you're a sinner. We all know that. We all know we need to be forgiven. If you'd like to pray with me today, right where you're seated, you can do it as I did many years ago. You can pray from your heart. God will hear the prayer of your heart. And you're simply asking God to forgive your sins and that you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. If you'd like to do that with me, right where you're seated, do what I did many years ago as a teenager. Just pray with me now. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. 
I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart. Become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, if you just pray with me and you meant it, would you simply hold your hand up high for a moment? I just want to pray for you. Anyone at all, I prayed with you and I meant it. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else, I pray with you from my heart and I meant it. My prayer won't save you, but if you prayed, God bless you in the back, in the front. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise of salvation in the holy word of God. Thank you for this great forgiveness and the love of God we sang about earlier that is greater than all of our sin. Now, Father, I pray for each Christian. It would be our desire to yield ourselves to you moment by moment. And when we fall, when we sin, when we mess up, pick us up and get us back on your path that we might exalt God and Jesus Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand together, we're going to stand and sing what we call an invitation hymn. As we sing the hymn, I've decided to follow Jesus. Again, it's not a one-time commitment, but it's again and again and again. And, and if you would like to speak to a pastor or a pastor's wife, it's a public invitation hymn. You can just step out into the aisle and come down front. One of our pastors, pastor's wives are here to speak with you. If you'd like to see God's promises of salvation, we have a, a, a quiet private room. Christian, if you'd like to pray the altar, you come. If you want to pray there in your seat. But let's sing this from our heart to follow Jesus Christ. Well, it's good to be here tonight. I'm very uh, thrilled to be a part of this and to be able to be uh, uh, preaching tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm always thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you came back even when we announced this morning that I'd be preaching tonight. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that some of you heard that. It's good to see the Coltons back. They're always a great joy. They radiate joy, don't they? I mean, they just, when you're around them, boom, and they were away celebrating anniversary, and um, I'm glad that you had a great celebration. I'm glad you're back. It's really good to see you. Peg and I were away Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for praying uh, for us. Many of you have asked about that. It was our thrill, our joy to be able to be at uh, Bryce and to go see Bryce and Janie. I hadn't been up there yet. They'd been there a year and a half in uh, Milwaukee area, Brookfield, Wisconsin. And uh, Bryce was ordained uh, Memorial Day weekend. And so we were up there. I think we got a picture to show of that ordination service. Uh, that was a sweet time for us, uh, be a part of it for Brandon and Eileen back in November, and now Bryce and Janie um, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, is I think the next slide, you might see some family there. That's a lot of Bryce's family, and then uh, Pastor Kittner there on the right, senior pastor for the ministry that they're serving in. And then Bryce's dad was uh, able to give the challenge. He's a pastor also over in, in South Jersey. And then uh, I was privileged to be able to do a, a dedication prayer for them and for Bryce there uh, when the guys gathered around. So it was a sweet time for us. We were very thrilled to be there. And uh, at the end, Janie even sang a special song that God has been so good. Uh, so it was just a wonderful time for us. We're very thankful to be able to participate in those things. I don't think I have any more pictures for that, do I? I got another one for later for something else for the message. But uh, thanks for praying for us. And uh, we're very thrilled to be a part of such things. And uh, we don't take it for granted. Uh, someone, I was out with some of the men in our class uh, the other night, 
and uh, we had a prayer time together. We enjoy getting together on occasion. And uh, one of them asked, a lot of the, the younger dads there, and they asked, um, hey, when did you, talking to me, when did you realize uh, or did you think your, ki- your kids got it, uh, the, the relationship with Christ and the walk with Christ? I said, to be honest with you, I don't think I really thought they got it until after they had graduated and gone out on their own. And that was when I thought, okay, I think they, they got it. And um, not that they got it, got it, but they're headed in the right direction like all of us are that we're headed that way. You know, it's a casual night. When I preach, you never know what's going to come out, right? So I'm uh, glad to keep you on your toes that way. But I enjoy uh, being around God's people. I enjoy, God's been so good to me. Uh, I can tell you, you know my story, and for me to live past age 28 is an absolute miracle. I'm just telling you, it's, just, it's been a wonderful thing. And so anything beyond that is just gravy in my life. And so uh, you're gravy, and I'm glad for you to be a part of it, and I'm glad to be here and be a part of it, and uh, I'm glad to be able to be able to bring the Word of God tonight. I want to bring a couple of things. Before I get into the message and before I get into uh, uh, some humor, I wanted to take a moment and uh, pass a couple of things on to you. I've already prayed about some of those things, but I want to let you know uh, we're going to have a, a send-away fellowship for the Tituses and the Canellos. And I don't want to get emotional around that because uh, some of those I've been connected with for a long time, since the first time they came here before they had kids. And, and uh, we've ministered together. We've mended a lot of fence together. And uh, we've done a lot of things together. It's been sweet. And uh, for them to leave and go on now, I understand it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I understand it. <laughs> and I'm glad for them. I'm just going to miss them. You know, when you serve with someone and you ride together um, and then they or going on where God's called them, it's um, always kind of a bittersweet thing. But the joy of it all is we know one day we're going to be together in heaven, and there's going to be a sweet time together for all of us for all of eternity, forever and ever. And so I'd ask you for one of those families that's not going to do the farewell fellowship tonight, but for another one of those in that group that I kind of grew with, uh, Chris Murray, his mom is in uh, some dire straits tonight health-wise. So I know that they would appreciate you praying for them. And uh, praying for Chris's mom and praying for, uh, you know, God's ministering hand uh, in her life and in their lives. So I know they'd be very uh, appreciative of that. And then the other ones that you've heard about. Uh, And then the things going on around our country. Um, You know, prayer is a powerful thing. It's a great privilege. And God gives us promises with prayer. That he hears and he answers perfectly. God is powerful. And he can do anything. So I hope we don't uh, pass that off sometimes and think that it's not something that it's a great privilege that we can approach the throne of grace and God can do anything. So I transition into tonight, if I give you a couple of jokes to lighten the moment, and then we'll move into our passage in Philippians chapter 2. It's uh, kind of spiritual workout time in spiritual uh, Philippians chapter 2 for us tonight. As you go there, I'd say we're glad we're in the house of God. I'll give you a couple of things to be laughing about, hope, uh, hopefully. Um, it says, uh, what's funny about forbidden fruits is they get you in a lot of jams. <laughs> so what do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness and a Unitarian? Someone who goes around knocking on doors for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, do, do you know they found Solomon's temple? It's located right beside his head. <laughs> oh, boy. 
<laughs> Smartest man in the Bible? Abraham. He knew a lot. I know. <laughs> That's delayed, Pam. <laughs> All right, you know who the guy was that brought down the house? He was the greatest comedian in the Bible. That was Samson. <laughs> I know, bada boom, right? I thought I'd warm you up because uh, it's always good to laugh. Anytime you can come around God's house with God's people and you can sing names, uh, sing praises to his name and you can pray and you can fellowship together and we can do some things together, it's a great time. And I think there should be joy with God's people. So if I had a title for the message tonight in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18, the word of God would challenge us, I think, is just simply to work it out. To work it out. If I could subtitle it, it would be this, shine the light and share the joy. Because that's exactly what he's telling us at the end of verse 15 and in verse 17 and 18 is we're to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that shows that Jesus Christ is transforming our lives and that we can share in the joy of that labor. And then he gives us some conditions as we're doing that, that we don't do grumbling and we don't do murmuring and we don't do disputing and we don't do those things and we live with a wonderful testimony in a world that is not living for God. That's what he tells us. He says, work it out. So if you don't mind, stand with me as we read these verses in Philippians chapter 12, or chapter 12, in Philippians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 12 through 18. Work it out. Understand that Paul's in prison, and he's writing to these Philippians who are really dear and sweet to his heart. And he's gotten word that there's some disunity in the fellowship. And so he writes a letter to them to encourage them to have a unified spirit within that church family. And as we go on and uh, we pick it up here in chapter 2, verse 12, the Word of God tells us, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Father, you're good to us. We're thankful. I pray, Lord, that you would just fill me with your spirit tonight. I pray you cleanse me of self. I pray, Lord, that Jesus Christ would be exalted. I pray the word of God would go forth. I pray, Lord, the power of God would penetrate hearts, would transform us all to be a little bit more like our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. My hearts be open. Our ears attentive, and I pray, Lord, you find us obedient to the challenge from the Word of God that you bring to us tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, everyone uh, has expectations in life. Uh, parents have expectations of kids. Husband and wives have certain expectations of one another. Uh, church family have expectations of pastors. Pastors have expectations to a degree of church family. Employees and employers have various expectations of one another. And most all of those, and if not all of those, those are expectations that we impose upon one another. And we can say, okay, that's acceptable to a degree or maybe not be acceptable depending on what your expectations are. 
But God has an expectation of us that is absolutely acceptable and absolutely wants to bring it to fruition in our lives, and that is that we would have a salvation that Jesus Christ has given to us freely, that the Word of God and God himself would work out in us. So from the time that we've come to know Christ, we have been given a free gift, and he said, I want that to continue to be worked out in your life, that it might show forth to others, it might transform you, it might take off the old in your life, it might put on the new in your life, and you might glorify God with your lives. You might be that example, that ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ until he calls us home or until he comes and gets us. He's got those expectations of our lives, and he certainly can do that. And Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's given them a challenge because he got in the word that there's some, been some disunity, and he wants to bring them around a little bit and say, hey, don't go that way. That can bring danger to you. It can bring danger to the testimony of Christ. It can bring danger to this church family. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. That you would be of one spirit and of one mind, striving for one thing, the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a glorious thing to pursue? The two pillars for our church are this, that we would share with the whole world how they can know they can have a relationship with God. Preach the gospel to every creature. Cornerstone of this first building right over here. And that everything you do, you do all to the glory of God, the cornerstone of the front building out there. I love the simplicity. I love the power of those two things that we are to stand for as a church family. Glorify God, fulfill the Great Commission. And Paul's writing and say, hey, have unity in doing that. Have a joy in doing that because we think about the book of Philippians. It's a joy about rejo a book about rejoicing. And Paul is saying to them, have that about you. Endeavoring to keep the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians chapter 4, another church that he was writing to. The second chapter was written in Philippians chapter 2 to deal with a divisive spirit that had uh, encroached on them and invaded that particular church there in Philippi. And Paul's warning them and encouraging them and pleading with them. In fact, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, is the plea for them to have self-denial, for them to have a humility, for them to have a mutual concern and a unity amongst themselves. And then verses 5 through 11, Paul tells us about the perfect pattern for that, and that's Jesus Christ himself. He gives us a plea, and then he gives us a perfect pattern, and now in these verses, 12 through 18, he's showing us the process by which that can be worked out in our lives. So he tells us, I'm writing to believers here. He says, I'm writing to the saints in the church of Philippi, those that know Christ, those that have come and walked with him, have received the free gift of salvation. They have received the gift that Jesus Christ paid for, that Jesus Christ gave to them. Now he's saying, I want you to have that worked out, that God is going to grow you up in Christ, and he's going to mature you. And as you're being matured in Christ, he said, I have some expectations of you. And he starts to spell those out for us. In fact, I read one commentary and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read this. I liked it, so I think I'll pass it on. It goes like this. I suppose the most disturbing and widespread concept of Christianity today is that it is a religion of rules which are in conflict with the free spirit of man. It is viewed as a dreary grind in which everything we like is either illegal, immoral, or fattening. Then he goes on to say, now it is true that Christians are continually exhorted in the New Testament to obey. 
But there are two different meanings of the word obey. And I think when some people read their Bibles, they read this word as though it's a grinding system of rules. And God is a kind of a tyrant with a whip ready to lash us back in line if we were to get beaten out of the path. Such people are properly afraid, but to do this will result in a tyranny of the mind, rigid, bigoted, and narrow disposition. It was a resulted in that in too many cases. But Scripture emphatically rejects that concept of obedience. Paul says you're not under the law but under grace. And when he writes to his dear friends in Philippi, he uses the word obedience to sum up the use of the practical application as he is saying it in verse 12. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. The word here is quite different meaning from that of a slavish obedience to rules. It really means an intelligent application of the principle. A very different thing of obedience is a sense of a key to liberty. You have learned to obey the principles of electricity in order to enjoy its use. You don't have to concern the compulsion of coercion because you have to keep the elements of positive and negative separated. You don't feel offended by that. You know that if you don't, you won't be able to enjoy the use of electricity. If you won't work for you, it will be a dangerous rather than helpful. You have to learn to employ the laws of electricity to enjoy the benefits thereof. And you can go on. And so there it is with the God laying out the principles that we are to live our life, that we would obey him, that we would stay within the confines of what he gives us, the guards that he lays in our life. They are for our benefit. They are for our enjoyment. They are not for some rigid, rigid thing to make our lives miserable. And he said, within those confines, I want you to work out your salvation, and I want you to maintain unity in the Spirit, and I want you to have a joy about that so that others around that you go out and see in the world, in the culture, they would see that difference in your life, and you don't get tangled up with the mud of that. And you desire to live a life of purity, and you have a passion to witness to others, and that you would share in the joy of that salvation and the joy of that labor. So how do we go about doing that? When we were saved, we received what Jesus has done for us. We grow when we live out what God is doing in us. So in your own mind tonight, would you say you're a little bit more like our Savior than you were a year ago? Would you say you're a little bit more like our Savior than you were six months ago? You're allowing the working of God in your life. You're allowing him to move those things out of your life that shouldn't be there and allow things to take over in your life that should be there. Well, we want to see how we stack up tonight, and we won't be a long time in these verses, but we want to go over them. Verses 12 and 13 gives us an example of the power of God working in us. The power of God working in us, and there's the example in verse 12, the first part. He says, wherefore? It points us back to a discussion about Jesus and his incarnation in the earlier part of chapter 2. He is the prime and perfect example of humility and obedience and a servant spirit. And he says, just as Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father, we are to be obedient to him as well. The Christian faith stands on two foundations, trust and obey. James calls it faith and works. If you ever need a motive to be surrendered to the will of God in your life, then look no further than Jesus Christ, our perfect example. He surrendered to the will of the Father. 
And he gave us a gift, and now God wants to work that out in us. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust him. The Philippians, Christians needed to be especially careful to obey Christ now that Paul wasn't there to continually remind them about what was right. You know, um, you're always trusting that your kids are going to do well. You know, when they're really young and you got all these guidelines in their life and they're going to go to somebody's birthday party or they're going to go over something else and you're always hoping, you know, I hope they behave themselves. You know, I hope they, uh, you know, or kind and polite and, you know, don't do something crazy. So you trust them to go off and to do those things in your absence. God trusts us to obey him. God trusts us to be his representative. Now, he's with us. He's present with us. He's guiding. He's working. He's leading. But there's an expectation of him on our lives that we would represent him well. He's given us a gift. Can't earn it, don't deserve it, can't buy it. He's given it to us freely. And for us to live a life that doesn't reflect a great appreciation for that is a shame. To have our lives reflect that we love God and we want to serve God because of our thankful heart for what he's done for us. A heart of appreciation of thanksgiving, to have it worked out in our lives. He gives us an example. That's Jesus Christ. He gives us the exhortation in the latter part of chapter uh, 2, verse 12. He says, you work it out in fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. He's bringing it to us, and he says, I want you to work it out because you reverence God and because you are in awe of him. There's a great respect, there's a great desire, there's a great passion that we would say, God, I want to please you. That's what fear and trembling is. We would work it out and say, God, I, 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 I revere you for sure, but I'm also in awe of you. For you to sacrifice your son, for me to have a relationship with you, and for me to accept that freely, it's been given, my life should reflect and the decisions I make, the activities I participate in, the things that I listen to, they should be something that says, he loves God. He respects God. He's in awe of God Almighty. And allow him to work that out in our lives and that we would go about pursuing that. We would take that phrase of working out our own salvation that we would show that we love him. Let me give you some things it doesn't mean. <laughs> it doesn't mean we work for our salvation. And we heard that this morning. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 gave it clearly. We don't work for our salvation. So if you're here tonight and you're listening on live stream or whatever the case may be, that this message comes to your ears, you don't work for your salvation. That is a free gift from God. That is given to you freely offered at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his bloodshed for remission of our sins, his resurrection to overcome the power of death. It's offered as a free gift. You don't work for your salvation. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never accepted that free gift of salvation, then this passage is for you after you've received that. <laughs> 
You don't work for salvation. You work it out once you have it that it starts to transform your life. I pray if there's anyone here tonight, I pray if there's anyone downstairs, upstairs, listening on a podcast or watching a live stream or whatever the case is, that if you have never accepted the free gift of salvation offered only in Jesus Christ and in him alone, that you would pull off the side of the road, that you would stop whatever you're doing, and right now, that moment, would be the time that you decide and that you receive that free gift of salvation. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and commit your life to him. You would be a child of God. At that moment, you're saved. At that moment, you have received the free gift of salvation. Then you can come to Philippians chapter 2 and have that salvation worked out in you. So if you don't work for your salvation, the next thing that doesn't happen is it doesn't mean you work out an inward salvation. You're not uh, sparking a, a, a little spark of divinity that every person has that you hear some say, and that's just going to fan that spark, and then that becomes greater and greater and inflamed in their life. That's not what that means. Man has nothing to do with working out his salvation that he's already put in himself. That does not happen. That only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we work to stay saved. It doesn't mean that we work to keep our salvation. Once it's yours, it's yours. Jesus Christ in John chapter 10 says, once they're mine, they're mine. And nothing shall pluck them out of my hand. Nothing. So you don't work for your salvation. You don't have some divinity that you're going to fan a spark in your life and all of a sudden it ignites and flames. And you don't work to keep your salvation. That working out the salvation is an attitude that's saying, God has saved me freely. He's given me a gift I could not buy for myself. I could not earn for myself. I've accepted it. I'm joyfully receiving it. And I have a desire to have my life transformed by the power of the Word of God, the working and empowering of the Holy Spirit, which we've been going through all year on Sunday mornings, and allow that to be worked out and shown to others and be the benefit of my life. That'd be a representative of Christ, and I'd represent him well. Work it out with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe. It means to complete it, to carry it out to its conclusion, conformed into the image of Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Far too many come to Christ, but they never go on in Christ. I heard it said one time that uh, the landscape across the United States of America, spiritually speaking, about 3,000 miles wide and about an inch deep. But that's not true at Valley Forge Baptist Temple. We have a group of church family, a congregation of believers that have assembled to say we love God and that we desire to serve God. And we have a passion to see others come to know him. And we have a passion to grow in him. And I believe that truly about this church family. 
because you could not show the joy, you could not have the passion, you could not have the zeal, you could not have the enthusiasm and the consistency about your lives if that were not true. Only by the power of God working in a life. Continually tra- changing and transforming. It means to finish it to completion. Working it out until we see him face to face, which will be perfection. Keep up the spiritual workout every day. So he gives us the example. He gives us the exhortation. Then he gives us the enablement in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. Before we were saved, God worked on us. Now that we are saved, God works in us. Okay? He worked on us till we get saved. We get saved. Now he's working in us. He is the one that enables it. It's God that does the work. It is God that does it for his will and for his good pleasure, and we yield to that. Here's a, here's a good thing. Here's a very encouraging thing. As you stay close to God, as you stay in his word, as you stay in prayer, as you have a desire to be a good representative of his, stay close to him, short sin account, really connected with God. Then as he's moving in your life, you can delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Trust in him. Commit your ways unto him. He'll bring it to pass. But you understand, you've got to delight in him first. You've got to have a joy to be connected with him first. You've got to have a closeness with him first. And then he will work to will and do of his good pleasure. He's got purpose for your life. He's got things he wants to do with your life. If he didn't, you'd be with him right now if he saved you. He's left you here. He's left us here. He's got purpose attached to it. Souls around this community need to be saved. They need to hear about the gospel of Christ. Families need to be restored. Hey, let me tell you something. When my parents separated into second grade and God came to my life, it changed me. It changed me. It changed my family. It changed everything about me. There's no telling where I could be tonight if that hadn't happened to me. And there was a church and a community that loved God, that believed Jesus Christ had the power, and believed the Word of God had the power to change the life, and they loved me enough to bring it to me. There's hurting souls around this community in Collegeville. There's hurting souls around Pennsylvania. There's hurting souls across the United States of America. There's hurting souls around the world. And they need the light of Jesus Christ to be ignited in their life and come to them as a free gift of salvation and to transform them. He gives us an enablement because of God, God Almighty. That's how the Christian life works. For him to will and do of his good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We had 8 and 9 this morning. Let me go ahead and give you 10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Once he saves us. Gives us the free gift of salvation. There's an expectation that he has on us. That we would fulfill what he's created us to do. And that we would glorify Christ Jesus unto the good works he's called us to do. He saved us to work. He's equipped us for that work. That's a glorious thing. And we allow him to do it for his will and good pleasure. You want to bring pleasure to God? Then serve him with great passion wherever he's called you and however he's equipped you. Serve him with all your heart. You will please him. Hey, I can get emotional right now because I was at the ordination of my son and my son-in-law. What joy can that bring to someone? 
And I think about that, and I think about, God, that must please you. That must please you, because it overwhelms me. And then I look at a church family that my kids grew up in for the most part. And I say, you share in that. How good is that? So can I take three seconds and thank you for your example? Thank you for allowing God to work out your salvation, to be the example around my kids. Now can I challenge you for three seconds? To keep doing that for the example of the other kids that are here and the other young families and the others that are new Christians, no matter their age. Work out your salvation. He's given us the perfect example. He's exhorted us to do it. He's empowered us by God to do it for his will and his good pleasure. The next thing is, Verses 14 and 15, he said, now that you're having that salvation worked out in you, God's doing a great work in you. He said, look, you do this without grumbling and complaining. You do this without disputings and murmurings. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shall shine as lights in the world. Paul seems to quote Deuteronomy 32 and Philippians uh, verse 15 as coincides with each other. Perhaps he had in mind the rebellious children of Israel and the grumbling in the wilderness and the, the failing to work out the salvation that God had provided for them. And he wanted the Philippians in contrast to stay on the course to work out that what God has accomplished for them. And it would require them to contrast the children of Israel to live without grumbling and shine as stars in the world, and hold the word of life. Uh, you know, the person who murmurs or gagusman would be a Greek word for that, and grumbles and complains and disputes, diagelasman, arguments of outward and vocal questioning of a God, expressing doubt of God, a person who does this is not working out their salvation. They are doing the very opposite. They're working to bring judgment upon themselves. The result of murmurings are far worse than people ever think. You know, murmurings and disputings that God talks about here, the people that do that, <clears throat> that are really arguing against God, they have no idea what they're robbing themselves of. God says he is against that. He forbids it in no uncertain terms. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in the lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other, how? Better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So, two things he gives us here. Verse 14, walk in obedience to God. We try to carry out the will of God without murmuring, without a secret displeasure in the heart, that it would be publicly revealed and 
So without disputing, the word means hesitation or arguing. It was murmuring and disputing that kept the children of Israel troubled for 40 years, and the Lord speaks to them. 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says he desires obedience more than sacrifice. Ephesians 6, 6 says we're an ambassador of Christ. See that you do all things well for him. So we walk in obedience to him without murmuring. We also walk in opposition to the world, verse 15. First part of verse 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation. A distorted and a twisted culture. That's what he's saying. You walk in opposition to that. We're to stand out. We're to stand out as God's children. We're to be that difference. So he says you rely on God. He says we reject complaining and arguing. And then he gives it to us in verse the latter part of 15 and verse 16. That we resolve to shine brightly for God. And we work out our salvation in this case by witnessing. The latter part of verse 15 says that you shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. As Christians, we are the shine. We're to be light reflectors. We're to be those ones that show the bright light of Jesus Christ that is changing us, is transforming us, and that can affect other people. You ever had a flashlight that uh, has mud on the lens? Can't see so well with it. A lot of Christians have mud on their lens. <laughs> They're doing things with murmuring and grumbling disputing and the, the lens is a little muddy there needs to be some cleansing there needs to be a first john 1 9 moment that they would be faithful to confess their sins and god says he'll be faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness for some of us <clears throat> We need to have our lens clean because it's not so clear to others that see us. It's a little muddy. So I pray that if there's some here tonight or some listening online and that's your case, you are a child of God. Praise God. But the lens has gotten a little bit muddy. You have gone out in the world and you've picked up some stuff and you've been rolling around in some things you shouldn't be rolling around in and you've been listening to some things you shouldn't be listening to. You've been engaging in some things you shouldn't be engaging in. The lens is muddy. Tonight would be a good night to 1 John 1, 9. God says if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It would be a good night to do that. Do it tonight. Let that lens be clear and bright as the lights he tells us in the latter part of verse 15, that it would shine brightly in a culture that is against God. They need a bright light shining. Well, there's ways to do that. God gives it to us in lots of ways, and we use lots of examples. So as an outreach pastor here, which includes evangelism and missions and all those wonderful things I get to do, 
We have food truck festival. We have Easter egg hunts. We have all kinds of things that go on here that give us a chance as a church and a church family to shine the bright light of Jesus Christ. And I'm pretty convinced that there's four things that can happen this weekend with the food truck festival or any other time when we have an outreach here or somewhere else. I'm pretty confident that people that ride by 422 or across 113 or down Black Rock Road or hear the name of Valley Forge Baptist, I'm pretty confident that they're curious. I'm pretty confident they're curious because they tell us they're curious. And what's going on there? There's a lot of stuff going on in that parking lot. You know, stuff going in and out and what's happening over there, right? They're curious. But can I tell you something else I think with a lot of them? Until they come and they experience the joy and the friendliness and the love that's in this place, they're cautious. They're cautious. They hear things. Who knows? They think things. Who knows? But for an outreach events like we have, food truck festival that's coming up, others that we have, that's a chance for people to come on our property and we're not just here to have a food truck festival. We're not just here to have a, a guy with some really cool bubble machines and the kids all having fun, although those are wonderful things. But the honest truth is the township could do that. The local school down the road could do that. We're here because we shine the bright light of Jesus Christ and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our chance to shine. That's what he tells us. That's our chance to shine. That's our chance to shine, so they're curious, they're cautious. It's our chance to show that we care, that we are a caring church. And we can have all kind of mottos in the world, but unless we live that example, unless we show that example, unless we share that example, it's merely words. So my prayer is that we have a day sort of like yesterday. Sun's bright, breeze is light, and there's joy on the property. And all the people from Valley Forge Baptist are gathered here, and here comes all kind of visitors and strangers and kids that are smiling and laughing and parents that are enjoying the day. And one's got a hot dog in one hand and a mustard sliding down their right arm, and the kid's blowing a big bubble out front, and he's giggling and laughing, and there's joy on the property. And they, they run into Pastor Colton and Mrs. Colton because they're going to be promoting VBS. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And she's going to talk to them, and they're going to see, you know what they're going to see? They're going to see the last part of verse 15. They're going to see a shining, bright light for Jesus Christ. Bright lights attract. So we can be bright lights on this property next Saturday. All kind of people come here. They can see a sweet spirit. They can see wonderful joy. And they can see a difference in a culture that is different. And then we get the chance. I give you the fourth C with that old spill. We get to share Christ with them. You hear that uh, statement, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, you want to have fun with your kids and you want to have a joyful time, that's great. You want to uh, offer the property to do those things, that's terrific. But it's always, always, always with the heart and the desire and with the intention of sharing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe with all my heart there's going to be some people that come here next Saturday 
And as a result, someone's going to accept Christ. And as a result, somebody's family is going to be changed. And as a result, it's going to be amazing in heaven one day. We call it a, a crazy, goofy bubble festival. How, how awesome is our God to let us do stuff like that? Well, the last part, verse 17 and 18, rejoice when we offer sacrifices and service for God. Yea, and I am offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith joy and rejoice with you all. If I had to pull a verse, it'd be verse 18 for the share joy run. That was it. We get to share joy as we give the gospel. That's it. That's it. You want to share some joy? Give the gospel. That we would serve him. Can I tell you somebody else that's doing that right now? They're doing a bright light thing around the world. I'm so thankful for them. Lindy Postel. I think I have a picture of Lindy up there with Talia. Talia Ruley, she's in uh, Uganda right now as we speak. Lindy has had her uh, heart burdened that she would be an encouragement to missionary wives. <clears throat> so she flies over and she spends some time in Uganda and Rwanda helping and encouraging uh, the Ruleys and particularly Talia, who's had a new baby. And uh, Lindy texted us a picture this afternoon. You know what Lindy was doing? She was scrubbing the floor at her house. And she was washing the kids' feet. She was just there to be an encouragement, shining a bright light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now, tomorrow you're going to go out, and uh, this afternoon or tonight you're going to go out. I gave you a few things to work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe. Work at obedience to God, to work out the stirrings of God within your heart, verse 13. Work at not murmuring and disputing, verse 14. Work at being pure, shining a light for Christ in the culture and the world that God's called you. And work at witnessing and shining a bright light around the ones that God has placed you. And work at following the example of sacrificial labor for God, Verse 17 and 18. Rely on his power. Reject complaining and arguing. Resolve to shine brightly for God wherever you go. And rejoice when you're offering your service of sacrifice. There's no better thing to do. If you've never accepted Christ, I beg you, make that decision tonight. If your lens is dirty, I plead with you to come to him tonight and let him cleanse it and clean it so we can shine brightly as we leave here, as we go up there in fellowship to Titus's and the Canelo's, and we cry a little bit and we rejoice with them a little bit, and we all remember there's going to be a day <clears throat> that we'll never have to leave each other, be around each other and save you forever. If you have to make a decision that way, do it tonight. Don't wait. Father, you're good to us. We're thankful. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for uh, the 
passage of challenge that you have given us through the Paul that he has written to the church in Philippi and now to us. I pray, Lord, that you would find us relying on you. I pray, Lord, that you would find us rejecting, murmuring, and disputing. I pray you'd find us shining our light brightly for you wherever we go and rejoicing in witnessing. And Father, I pray as every head is bowed and every eye is closed here tonight that if there's one that's among us that uh, has never received the work that Jesus Christ has done for us, the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternity forever. I pray, Lord, if there's one here tonight that has never done that, they've never committed their life to you, that tonight would be their night. And I'd ask them right now, if that's you and you're here, and you say, I need to commit my life to Christ, that you would pray this prayer, you mean it sincerely in your heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I commit my life to him. I ask him to be my savior. Thank you for saving my soul. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you and you prayed that tonight and you meant it sincerely in your heart, would you raise your hand so I could also pray with you? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Anyone else that you prayed that sincere prayer of salvation tonight? We rejoice in the one that has done that. Father, you're good, and we're thankful. We rejoice for the angels in heaven for this one that's committed our life to you. And I pray if there's others here, Lord, that uh, they have accepted your free gift. But, Lord, uh, honestly, the light's not shining brightly right now, and they need to have cleansing. Please have them do that now, that we all would shine brightly as we go out of here, Lord, and we're thankful for it. We commit our lives to you. Thank you. I pray you find us living a heart of thankful joy as we serve you this week. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You can stand and we'll sing a song. About, uh, the altar's open if you want to come and you want to have a moment with God or if you want to have it where you stand, that's perfectly fine. I just ask that you would go out of here as we all would tonight as bright lights for Christ. Matt.